Hey everybody, this is going to be a really unique episode for Dense in the Darkness because one of our NEC churches asked me to come and share a message on a very tough topic this past Sunday. And I want to share it with you because I think it's very, very important, especially at this time in our nation's history, uh, this time in church history. It's very important that we hear from God and, and know what God thinks about very tough topics. So let me start by telling you a little bit about my family. So I'm married to my best friend, Joy. We've been married for almost eight years, and we have two amazing boys, Landon, who's five, and Declan, who's one. Now, they're super cute because of their mom, and they have a lot of attitude attitude because of their mom, obviously. We all know that's true. But uh, Declan is one year old. He just started walking and his favorite hobby is ransacking our whole house. That's what he's all about now. But Landon is five and his story is very unique. And back in 2015, Joy and I experienced what no parent ever wants to face, but so many do. The doctor came into the exam room about 10 minutes after we heard Landon was a boy and I was so excited because I wanted a boy so bad. But 10 minutes after we found that out, we heard the news that he had a potentially life-threatening heart defect. And they sent us to a specialist and we confirmed that Landon had HLHS, which stands for hypoplastic left heart syndrome. So basically he was and still is missing an entire chamber of his heart and it's still a life-threatening condition to this day. And I got to tell you, this was one of my greatest fears in life coming true. I was always afraid of parenting a special needs kid because I honestly didn't think that I had what it took. I, I didn't think that I could handle it. And I don't think I'm alone in that fear. In fact, I know thousands of people today have that same fear about parenting in general for healthy kids too. But the doctor offered a solution for our fear and his solution was to explore options. And as we talk further, what he was talking about was having an abortion. Now, this topic of abortion is incredibly personal, painful, and often private. And as soon as I say abortion, I, I'm sure if you're listening right now, the, the tension in your heart and mind has probably just gone through the roof. And I'm sure you have very strong opinions and maybe some very emotional experiences related to abortion. But even though this is a super tough topic, I'm going to ask that you keep listening and, and just hear me out on, on what I believe God wanted me to say to this church uh, that I spoke at on Sunday and, and also what he wants me to say here on the podcast. So there are over 2,300 abortions every day in the United States. Abortion is normalized here in America. It's uh, even one of the latest episodes of NBC's This Is Us shows the journey of why Kate chose to have an abortion at 18 years old. And maybe you're listening and you've experienced an unplanned pregnancy like Kate. Maybe you've gone through crippling fear of the unknown, a toxic relationship, or maybe even pressure from your family. Most likely, if you're listening, you know someone who has had an abortion. Maybe you have had an abortion yourself, or maybe you've helped someone get an abortion. Maybe you're listening to this and you're a father, a boyfriend, or a husband who's encouraged your significant other to get an abortion. Maybe you've only really thought about this issue primarily through the lens of politics. Maybe you'd call yourself pro-choice. Maybe you'd call yourself pro-life. Maybe you feel like, you know what, I'm not really well informed to say much about abortion either way. Maybe you've got some, well, what about this? Or what if scenarios that you've been pondering, you've been wondering about, and 
I'm not going to be able to resolve every tension. I'm not going to address every angle. And there's no way I'm going to clarify every concern in the next half hour. But what I can do and what I want to do is I want to point you to the grace and truth of Jesus, no matter where you're coming from. And I spent a lot of time prepping this message. Uh, I've prayed a lot that I'd be able to balance compassionate care along with tough truths because we find both in Jesus. And, and so circling back to our journey with Landon, when the doctor offered for us to consider abortion for him, we refused. And it's not because we think that we're morally superior to anyone, because we're not. It's not because we weren't wrestling with fear. We were. A lot of fear. But Joy and I refused because the purpose of our lives is to give worth, value, and priority to God. And we constantly ask that question, what does God want in every area of our life? So we refuse to abort Landon because we know that life is a gift from God. And God clearly tells us that gift is not ours to take. And, you know, God hasn't left us in the dark on who he is and what he's all about and who we really are, too. And he gave us a divine collection of 66 books written over 1,500 years by 40 authors on three continents in three languages. And there's really one point and purpose, his son, Jesus. And if you study the life of Jesus, you'll notice that he quotes from almost every book in the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament, as divinely authoritative. So I want to walk through scripture together and see what God says about our identity and our uniqueness as humans. In the very beginning of creation, we see in Genesis chapter 1, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So uh, this past Sunday, I showed a picture of a, a 1909 Honus Wagner baseball card. Honus Wagner played for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And uh, in 2016, uh, this card sold for $3.12 million. $3.12 million. Now, what made that card so valuable? Is it the cardboard? Is it the ink? No, it's the image on the card that makes it so valuable. And in the same way, every human life has value because every human life bears the image of God. Psalm 8, 3 through 6 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and all that swim in the paths of the seas. God clearly created us differently than animals. We aren't animals. Every human being is made in the image of God and we're entrusted with divine stewardship of the gifts God gives us. And that includes this world, our ecosystem, the animals, our time, our talent, our treasure, and our children too. And God's word also clearly tells us when our children become our children. God told the prophet Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. A very godly man from the ancient Near East named Job said, did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? 
When Jesus was a baby inside his mother Mary, Dr. Luke records this in the second half of the Bible, the New Testament. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. King David of Israel said, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And God also spoke through the Apostle Paul when he told the early church in ancient Corinth, You're not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So here's the deal. Joy and I refused abortion. Because these are the two truths that form the railroad tracks of our worldview. First, life begins at conception. And secondly, our physical bodies belong to God. Now, you might be wondering, how do we know that life begins at conception scientifically? In her 2018 book, Love Thy Body, Nancy Piercy says, Virtually everyone today agrees that the baby in the womb is human, biologically, physiologically, genetically human. Virtually no professional bioethicist denies that life begins at conception. Dr. Alfred M. Bongiovanni, professor of obstetrics at the University of Pennsylvania, says, I have learned from my earliest medical education that human life begins at the time of conception. And before a congressional subcommittee, Dr. Bongiovanni testified, I am no more prepared to say that these early stages represent an incomplete human being than I would be to say that the child prior to the dramatic effects of puberty is not a human being. This is human life at every stage. Dr. Jerome Lejeune said this while he was serving as a genetics professor at the University of Descartes in Paris. After fertilization has taken place, a new human being has come into being. This is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. Each individual has a very neat beginning at conception. Harvard University Medical School professor Micheline Matthews Roth said, it is scientifically correct to say that an individual human life begins a conception. And, you know, even experientially for me and Joy, uh, back in 2015 when we started our medical appointments at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, while Landon was still inside of Joy, the doctors always called him baby. So if all that I've just said is true, then you might be wondering, okay, Dan, why does our cultural narrative say life doesn't begin at conception? Well, I'll tell you why. Because we typically adhere to the science that suits us. Just because something is scientifically verified doesn't mean that we'll choose to adhere to it. Whatever your perspective on abortion might be as you're listening to this, here's the medical science of a baby's life in the womb. At conception, the father's sperm and the mother's egg combine to form a new human being who carries as much DNA information as 50 sets of a 33-volume encyclopedia, including the sex of the baby. That's right at conception. Day 20, the heart, brain, spinal column, and nervous system are almost complete and eyes begin to form. Day 22, the heart begins to beat. And notice, that's within the first month. At week four, the baby has muscles, arms, legs, uh, or leg buds, and a head. And the face, forehead, eyes, nostrils, and mouth are evident by week five. By week six, the brain waves can be recorded. By week eight, we can see fingers, toes, fingerprints, and all the organs are present, complete, and functioning except the lungs. By weeks nine to ten, there's thumb sucking. By week 12, the baby can smile. 
At month four, the baby does somersaults and REM can be recorded while sleeping. At months five through six, uh, the baby typically will weigh about one pound with a 50% chance of survival if born with proper medical care. At months seven to eight, the baby can recognize mom's voice and has a 90% chance of survival if born with proper medical care. By month number nine, the baby is ready to come out of the womb. Now, since science can no longer deny that babies in the womb are humans, our culture says, well, a fetus may be human, but it isn't a person. It may not be human, but it isn't a per- it may be human, but it isn't a person. And this is where Christianity has a much higher view of the body than the system of this world. Our culture consistently devalues the significance of our physical human bodies when it comes to our identity and our personhood. Personhood is not dependent on what we do. It's intrinsically designed in who we are since we're made in the image of God, like we talked about earlier. We don't need to earn the right to be treated as a valuable person. Let me say that again. We don't need to earn the right to be treated as a valuable person. Medical science proves that human life begins at conception, and God's Word also shows us that at conception, we are persons, humans and persons of infinite value to God and each other. But you know, as you're listening right now, you might be pushing back and maybe you're getting angry. You're thinking, Dan, you don't have a clue, man. You don't have a clue about the extenuating circumstances. You're not even a woman. You've never experienced what I've experienced or my friends have experienced. You never faced the financial challenges, the poverty, the pressure from the father or the shame from the family. And you're right. If you're, if that's what you're thinking, You're right. I haven't experienced any of that. I cannot imagine how hard and excruciating it must be to feel like your only solution is abortion. But even though I haven't experienced the hardship of these extenuating circumstances myself, I want to tell you some stories of people who have, and I want to see what you might recommend. So story number one, the father is sickly, the pregnant mom has tuberculosis, The first child is blind, the second child dies, the third child is deaf, and the fourth has tuberculosis as well. So, considering quality of life and genetics, in that scenario, in that situation, would you recommend abortion? If so, Beethoven would never have been born. Beethoven was an insanely gifted musician. He composed nine symphonies, 32 piano sonatas, and 16 string quartets, and was one of the greatest composers of all time. Story number two, a 13-year-old African-American girl lives in Chester, Pennsylvania, and she's raped by a white man and becomes pregnant. So, considering rape, would you recommend abortion? If so, Ethel Waters would never have been born. Ethel Waters became a Broadway star. She was nominated for an Academy Award and Primetime Emmy. She was the first African-American to star on her own TV show, and she ministered to millions of people by traveling with Billy Graham and singing this very famous song called His Eyes on the Sparrow. Story number three, the mom develops amoebic dysentery. There's strong antibiotics that they use to treat the infection before they knew she was pregnant. The doctors strongly recommend that she abort the mass of fetal tissue, as they said, and keep herself safe. There seems to be irreversible damage to her baby, but she refuses to abort and nearly loses the baby four times. So, considering the doctor's recommendations, 
would you also recommend abortion? If so, Tim Tebow would never have been born. Just a few weeks ago, I got to take a, a personal tour of Tim Tebow's new multi-million dollar camp right by our house in Bear Creek, Pennsylvania. And this camp is going to serve hundreds of special needs children across the nation who God loves more than we can imagine. All because Tim Tebow's mom chose to fight her fears with love. Now, maybe you're listening to this and, and choosing abortion is part of your past. Maybe you made the choice reluctantly and maybe you believed you were making the best choice you could because our culture says it's okay. But now you're seeing that it wasn't right. Maybe you're a guy who's helped a lady in your life get an abortion. Maybe the, that pain of regret and secret shame have plagued you for years. Maybe you've started to see that although abortion is the legal cultural norm today, we cannot minimize or excuse its opposition to God's will. But here's the great news, and I, I, I hope you catch this. This is so important. If choosing abortion is part of your past, Jesus wants to give you grace, hope, and healing for your future. God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. He doesn't hate you. He wants you. God doesn't hate you. He wants you. God's word says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And in Hebrews, God's word says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And these are two of our greatest needs. First is forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. And secondly, it's freedom from our fears. And we find both in Jesus. You know, John, the best friend of Jesus, said, if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And he also said, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And ultimately, gang, I, I think the, abor the abortion issue is so personal, private, and painful because of fear. Isn't that true? We all struggle with fear, especially in 2021. And when God says perfect love casts out fear, he's not being dismissive of our fears. He's giving us hope-filled courage and the ultimate resolution to our fears. I'm going to say that again. When God says that perfect love casts out fear, he is not being dismissive of our fears. He's giving us hope-filled courage and the ultimate resolution to our fears. Because Jesus is for us, not against us. And when we give our lives to Jesus, when we put our faith in his perfect life, death, and resurrection on our behalf, he doesn't give us a spirit of fear. He gives us a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. I just shared that with a friend of mine a couple days ago who's been struggling with fear. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. I need that reminder, and we all need that reminder, especially in times like these, because we all struggle with fear, because we struggle to love. We struggle to love God like we should, and we struggle to love others like we should. And we fear the future. We also fear each other, especially on this topic of abortion. And isn't it true that we live in such a polarized tribal society that tells us that we can't love each other if we disagree? And I got to tell you, that's a lie. That's a lie. Disagreement never equaled hatred. It never has. It never should. Disagreement does not equal 
hatred. And if you completely disagree with everything I've said so far in this episode, guess what? I still love you and God still loves you. If you've had an abortion, God loves you and I love you. If you've helped someone get an abortion, God loves you and I love you too. And if you've faced extreme fear and believed that abortion was your only option, and maybe you're even considering an abortion right now, God has you listening to this for a reason. Jesus offers hope and healing if we're willing to come to him in humility, but that humility is the key. Now, gang, I know that I've been sharing some really tough truths, but truth without love is mean, absolutely, but love without truth is meaningless. Truth without love is mean, but love without truth is meaningless. I would not be very loving if I didn't share truth. And, you know, the same is true for those of us who would call ourselves pro-life. Maybe you're listening and you would call yourself a pro-lifer. Well, I've got three challenging questions for pro-lifers. First of all, who matters most? Secondly, what about politics? And third, what about Jesus? So first, who matters most, the mother or the baby? The answer is clearly both. Both the mother and the baby are equally valuable to God, and they should be equally valuable to us. Scott Sauls says, Pro-life and pro-choice people both advocate for someone who's in a weak and distressed position. Both sides are challenged, whether truth or perception, that they give partial treatment toward one side and dismissive treatment toward another. Neither seems to be fully in line with what James called true religion, or at least perceived to be fully in line with what James says when he says that uh, true religion attends to both widows and orphans, vulnerable women and children in their affliction, James 1.27. So if we don't show deep concern for both mother and child, James says our religion is lopsided. So here's what this means. This means we've got to be comprehensively pro-life. We can't ignore issues like racism, lack of affordable health care, poverty, abuse, and so many others, which brings us to the issue of politics. Is the issue of abortion primarily political? Unfortunately, I believe the pro-life movement has often put politics in the driver's seat and replaced relationships for attempts at political power, especially in 2020. David French says, For almost three decades, the Supreme Court lesson has been clear. Put not your trust in judges to rescue America from the moral stain of abortion. Actually, the great news is that abortions in America have continually declined. You may not know that, but since the early 80s, Abortions in America have continually declined, and they declined most rapidly under President Obama, a pro-choice president. In fact, from 2011 to 2017, abortions in America fell by nearly 20%. Now, what does that decline really have to do with? Well, it really has to do more with fewer unplanned pregnancies, reduced teen sexual activity, and that has a lot to do with technology and pornography. That's a whole other conversation we don't have time for. Um, this, this stat has more to do with access to health care, uh, new state restrictions, and more affordable adoptions. Which, by the way, I personally know tons of pro-life people who are leading the way in adoption efforts through sacrificial love like Jesus. I have tons of friends leading the way in that, and they're doing an amazing job. But here's the point. Politics will never ultimately solve America's abortion problem. Let me say that again for clarity. <laughs> Politics will never ultimately solve America's abortion problem. 
Should we vote for who God leads us to vote for? Yes. But this is a big weakness of ours. David French also says, we're most passionate about the president, as we've seen this last year, yet too many of us are less interested in the crisis pregnancy center down the street. So here's a really challenging question for us. Are we more interested in power or love? Is it power or is it love? Because love is Christianity 401, gang, not 101. Love is Christianity 401, not 101, because love is the power of Jesus. See, Jesus entered the world through the most unique, unplanned pregnancy in human history, and he came in humble love rather than power. And when Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, she was ostracized from her own community, from a different ethnic background that Jesus' Jewish community hated. Later, we learned that she was divorced five times, but that was probably due to a deeply uh, painful infertility struggle rather than her just being some kind of a homewrecker. Jesus broke all the cultural norms and boundaries of his day by dignifying her, engaging her relationally, and lovingly pointing her to the truth of her need for him. She was the very first person who discovered that Jesus was actually the Messiah, way before the 12 male disciples even clued in, And Jesus radically changed her life through his love while she was hurting, vulnerable, and scared. And here's the deal. What if we live more like that? What if we built more bridges than we did walls? What if we are known far more by who and what we're for rather than who and what we oppose? What if we use social media to bless people rather than blast people? What if the church was a healing community for the broken where everyone, regardless of their past, found freedom in the gospel? And what if mothers with unplanned pregnancies ran to the church first because they knew that they would find hope and help? And let's just be honest, right now, most of them aren't. So you might be thinking, wow, that'd be awesome. How do we do that when the church is so often not that? Well, here's the deal. I'll summarize with three words. Availability, learning, and serving. First, we've got to position our lives to be available to people in our lives who need love. Back in, uh, in Pennsylvania, so our, our neighbor just recently had uh, her first baby in an unplanned pregnancy where she courageously chose life for her son. And before her beautiful son was born, Joy noticed that there weren't a whole lot of people in her life that were buying gifts on her Amazon registry. So we threw the link out to hundreds of believers in a Facebook group that we started through the Northeast Collaborative. And pretty soon, they were flooded with gifts from Northeast followers of Jesus in multiple states. And our neighbor came and she told us she couldn't believe how so many complete strangers could be so loving. And we've been able to talk through the gospel multiple times with her, and we just keep becoming better and better friends. And this is where it starts. Availability. Start praying that God will give you relational opportunities with people in your neighborhood, in your job, and other spheres of influence. So first, availability. Second is learning. I want to give you some really great ways you can educate yourself more effectively. Uh, First of all, there's a new documentary on Netflix called Reversing Row, and that'll give you some really helpful information, mostly from the pro-choice perspective. Now, if you're listening and you're you're a pro-lifer, we've got to do a much better job at breaking out of our echo chambers and listening to people that we disagree with. 
There's also a really challenging video from Christians Phil Vischer and Sky Jatani. If you can search for their uh, Holy Post abortion video on Facebook, and whether you agree with them or not, it's well worth 15 minutes to take it in. Now, if you haven't seen the movie Unplanned, I'm, you've got to. Joy and I saw this in the movie theater. It's so, so powerful. It's the true story of Abby Johnson, who was an abortion clinic worker, and she left the industry after all that she experienced. Really powerful movie. I'd highly recommend that you see that. If you want more of an academic study on a theology of the body and hard questions regarding sexuality, uh, Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. She's a phenomenal scholar. It's a tremendous resource. Uh, two other great resources, Why Pro-Life by Randy Alcorn and Abortion by R.C. Sproul. Now, if you have the Uversion app on your phone, uh, first of all, if you don't, you need to get it. But secondly, um, they have these awesome reading plans on there. It's a free app. You can listen to the Bible. You can read the Bible. But there's also these reading plans, and one of them is called Reimagining Pro-Life. Reimagining Pro-Life. Highly recommend it. I've been going through it. It is tremendous. Uh, there's also a great organization called CareNet, and they have unplanned pregnancy help centers across the nation. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about them in just a minute, but uh, on this amazing tool called Right Now Media, if your church has access to it, they have Making Life Disciples training. And this training called Making Life Disciples is incredible to mobilize believers to come alongside moms with unplanned pregnancies and to help them with the love of Jesus and with the truth of Jesus in tandem. So first of all, it starts with availability, then learning, and then finally, serving. We've got to roll up our sleeves and get to work. Now, there are pregnancy centers all across this nation, and if you go to care-net.org, care-net.org, you can find one that's near you. Uh, maybe you want to find some answers for the future if you are experiencing an unplanned pregnancy right now. Maybe you want healing from the past if abortion is part of your story. Um, they are a great place, care-net.org. And uh, I actually got a chance to serve on the board of one uh, near our, our house. And uh, it's a great organization. Uh, just really, really powerful things happen. Life change happens and lives are saved through these uh, pregnancy centers. And serving with them is an incredible opportunity too. We need to get involved with these pregnancy centers financially and relationally so that we can come alongside moms with unplanned pregnancies and we need to battle their fears with them. We'll become the church that God wants us to be if we first position our lives to be available, second, learn all that we can, and third, serve like our servant King Jesus. Now, circling back to our son Landon, we have no idea how long Landon will live with HLHS. But ultimately, Joy and I both know that he belongs to God. And he's doing well after three open heart surgeries, but the future is still a mystery. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And I've got to tell you, we are so thankful that we chose life for Landon.